2 Samuel. You know, I was going to do 6 and 7, but I got so caught up in chapter 6 that seems like that's all we'll do tonight, unless I just feel like doing chapter 7 anyway. So keep you here for a couple of hours. <laughs> just joking. By this time in chapter 6, David has established his throne in Israel, the capital city, but God will teach David an important lesson. And really, it's the same lesson we as believers need to learn as soon as we are born again, as soon as we are saved. And it's about God's holiness. Connor and I was speaking about the Lord's holiness before I came up here. And holiness is perhaps the most difficult attribute of God, because in essence, it refers to God as being holy, being holy above his creatures. And we tend to think holiness, holiness is being something that's morally pure, purity, but it's more than that in essence. To be holy, we know the word is kadesh. It means to be set apart. When we think of something like a holy place or the holy utensils or the holy men and women of God, that means they were set apart for service for God and only him. So when we speak of God's holiness, it refers to him being absolute transcendence, outside of time, above time. Uh, uh, we could say his otherness than, than humans being, beings could ever think about. God is infinitely a cut above from anything or anyone that, that he's ever created. So God is wanting David, he's wanting us to learn about his holiness. The Bible says without holiness, no man will see God. And so it's been about 75 years. The ark had been absent from the sanctuary, from the tabernacle in Shiloh. It was in Shiloh for about 20-something years. They're finally uh, uh, getting ready to move it to Jerusalem. Remember, the ark was captured, 1 Samuel chapter 4, I think, when Eli was sitting on his porch and Hopni and Phineas, they went to war with the Philistines. Well, in that battle, the Philistines captured the ark, and the ark was gone for a while there. And then what happened to the Philistines, God the Bible says in, in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 6, God's hand was heavy on the Philistines, and they broke out with these tumors. And most theologians or scholars think that they had a hemorrhoid problem. And so they put the ark on this wooden uh, uh, chest, on this wooden cart, and they sent it away with golden tumors on it and all those things. They sent it away, and, and it went to Beth Shemesh. And the men of Beth Shemesh, when they seen the ark, when they saw the ark, they cut the wood up from the, from the wagon and all those things. They made a big fire and they burned the oxen, but then they made a mistake and they opened up the ark and it slew about 20,000 men. And so then they send it away to Kiriath Jerem and that's where it's at now. David has brought the kingdom together. David is a man after God's own heart, and now David says, hey, it's my desire to go get 
the ark. And uh, we're going to find out that David is going to do, do it the wrong way. But that's been David's heart all along, a man after God's own heart. It says in Psalms 132, verses 1 through 5, a song of ascent, Lord, remember David and all his afflictions, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. Surely I will not go into the chamber of my house or go up to the comfort of my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord. His whole thing was finding a resting place for the Lord. And so the first step David had to do was to bring the ark to Jerusalem. Once again, this was one of David's dreams, to bring that ark back. And one thing I like about David, because we all know that David is not going to be able to build the tabernacle, but that didn't stop David. God says no to us a lot of times, and we can get frustrated and upset and just say, hey, well, I'm not going to do anything. I didn't get to serve on that ministry. I didn't get to do this, so I'm just not going to do anything for the Lord. I'm thankful that David didn't do that. David began to get the plans and, and bring in the wealth and all the materials so his son Solomon could do the construction of the ark. And the parallel account of this is First Corinthians, Chronicles chapter 13, verse 3, where it says, And let us bring the ark of our God back to us. For we have not inquired at it since the days of Saul. Now, that's, that's a sad report there. All the time that Saul was king, they never thought about going and getting the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And so David sends out this huge invitation to the priests and the Levites. They're going to go down to care of Jerem, and they're going to bring back the ark. And it says in verse 1, And David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah. That's care of Jerem, by the way. To bring up from the ark of God, whose name is is called by the name, the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. Usually when we see that name, the Lord of hosts, it means the Lord of armies. Yeah, it can be Israel's army, but most of the time when it says Lord of hosts, it's all of the principalities, all of the angels of God. That's his army, and that's what he's speaking of here. And what he's saying is that the angels of God, God is still the Lord of hosts, but it's his angels most of the time, that does his bidding here. David hoped that bringing the ark back to Jerusalem, because he's just put united the kingdom, and he's wanting these tribal rivalries to come together and be unified. So David has a heart not only for the Lord, but for the people of God. He wants them to be unified. And the presence of the ark, David is hoping will do this. Not only is the presence of God there for, for, for the children of Israel, but it brings security and it will bring victory to the children of Israel. But there's no record of David going through the scriptures, getting in the word, finding out how this ark is supposed to be transported. That's going to be a, a flaw of here. So it, his. So it says in verse 3, so they, so they set the ark of God on a new cart, good for them, and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, 
who was on the hill, and Uzzah and Ohiah, the sons of Amenadab, drove the new cart. No doubt they had good intentions, but good intentions does not matter because when they put this ark onto this new cart, they were doing the same things that the Philistines had did. It was nothing more than pagan worship, and that's what they're doing here. And God, they knew how the ark was supposed to be transported because on Mount Sinai, God had given Moses all the directions and the instructions of this. So David example here, I want us to understand this, is a warning for us not to draw ideas about worship or anything else, the practice of the world. We shouldn't let it filter in to the church, especially it's easy to do with worship. You have the big stage, you have the lights, you have the smoke machines, you have all those things, and that does not impress God. What impresses God is a true heart towards him and singing and making melody to the Lord. So David is going to let that creep into what he's going to do here. So it tells us, and they brought it out of the house of Amenadab, which was on the hill accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments of fir wood, on harps, on string instruments, on tambourines, on cistrums, and on cymbals. Every time the children of Israel would have some great event or some great festival, music was always involved, and there's nothing wrong with that. Matter of fact, it wasn't till the Greeks came in and they began to have something called interpretive dancing while the music was playing. And the New Testament church and the church fathers, they stopped that because they said, is it pagan worship or even interpretive dancing? Is that what we should be doing? Because anytime you read about the children of Israel when they crossed the Red Sea, remember what it says, Miriam and the women picked up the tamarines and they began to dance and they began to praise the Lord. After they did that, the men began to do that. But it was never a mix of men and women. And so that's why the church, church fathers said, no, it should, shouldn't be any interpretive dancing here. Verse 6 tells us, and when they came to Nacon, threshing floor, uh, First Chronicle calls his name Kidon, and that name means, Nacon too, means to smite, and we'll find out why. Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it for the oxen stumbled. He instinctively just put his hand out and tried to stop the ark from falling. But you know what? God was not impressed with what Uzzah did here. Not at all. And we'll find out. Verse 7 tells us, Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah. And God struck him there for his error, and he died there by the ark of God. God is holy, and he cares about his holiness with a fierce wrath. Even in this incident, God is saying, hey, you sh- it, it would have been better for you to let the ark fall. Like I said in 1 Samuel, when the ark of the covenant 
went, when, when, when the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant, remember God's hand was heavy on them, and many of them died. The same thing they're about to learn the lesson here. Even at Beth Shemesh, David is about to learn the same lesson. And another way to translate that verb, arouse, when it says, then the anger of the Lord was aroused, is that God's wrath broke out. It just dispersed upon those that was around them. And it takes us back once again to where when David, when the children of Israel, it happened to them at Beth Shemesh, he, he called it Baal Perazin, which means the Lord outbroke on them. And we're going to find out in verse 8, he's going to name the place Perez Uzzah, and it means the same thing, the Lord has broken out amongst them. And I like the Bible, I love the Bible, because it shows God doesn't hold anything back. It lets us know that David was angry. David was upset because this had happened. So he's kind of, I've heard some people say he was mad at God. But anytime you're mad at God, God says, hey, you'll be okay. Sooner or later, if you're my child, you'll come around. So he says, and David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. And he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. David is not only He's not the only one that's appalled by what just happened. Many of us are appalled by what God did because we think, God, why would you do this? Here is this man with a true heart wanting, trying to honor you, and he tries to keep the ark from falling to the ground. And yet and still, you slew him there. Why would you do something like that? But what it really shows us is that Uzzah didn't understand the holiness of God. Even if the Ark of the Covenant would have fallen on the ground, it would have been a lot much better than sinful man touching the Ark. Uh, I like that song, Hillsong Sings, uh, if I can think of the name, A Billion Years. And, it's, and, and they begin to sing about the winds obey him, the trees obey him, the rocks obey him. The only ones that don't obey him is us. And that's what Uzzah has to understand. It would have been better for him to let the ark touch the ground because it was holier than him. The only reason the creation groans is because the sinfulness of man. And so he didn't understand his sinfulness. And that's what we don't understand a lot. We are sinful individuals, dead in trespasses and sins. And even when we become believers, we we wear the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So we can't be puffed up. We can't be proud or arrogant of any of those things. But Uzzah didn't understand his sinfulness. So he reaches out and he does this. And, you know, you want to scrutinize God. We like to question God. God, why did you let this happen? Why did you let that happen? as if we can put him under a microscope, as if we can analyze him, once again, or scrutinize him. And it reminds me of Job when everything was happening to him, not understanding that this is God Almighty, full of wisdom, and everything that he does, 
is good, and he does those things for us. But Job had that issue, and it says this in Job 42, verses 1 through 6. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, as we often do. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said I will question you, and you shall answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. And notice what he says. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. This is precisely the point Job is making that we must all learn, no matter what happens to us as children of God, as born-again believers. God always does what's right. He always does the holy thing because he is holy. So David The main reason I believe that David was angry because he had formed this huge procession, this huge parade, and now he's embarrassed that this has happened. Everybody is around him. He's going to take the ark into Jerusalem, and this happens when all he had to do is read the book. And from the Scripture's point of view, God's response was entirely appropriate because God is a holy God, always has been, always will be. He had told David in his word how to transport this Ark of the Covenant. Remember, Numbers chapter 4 tells us the Kohites, their job was to go and cover up all of the furnishings in the tabernacle, in the tent of meeting. And then, matter of, no, I'm wrong, not the Kohites, It was Aaron and his sons. They would go in and cover up all the furnishings. And then the Korahites would go in when it came to the Ark of the Covenant. They had gold rings on the side. They would put those shittim bars in, and then they would carry it to the next place. God had it all in order. So by the time they got there, the Merari rites had brought everything. The tent was up. The last thing that would go in was the furnishings of the temple. God has set that up. All he had to do, all they had to do was look. So even David presumed on the grace of God. And you know, it's easy to do that sometimes. Me and the Lord, we're tight. David, a man after God's own heart. So even I can wink at this or wink at that every once in a while. But we can't do that. And God is going to let him know it doesn't work like that. God is not some petulant child that he just hits you on the hand for anything. God can be nothing but what he is. He's a holy God. And so wrath broke out against Uzzah here. And now David is upset. God is not impressed with what Uzzah did. It wasn't like, he, he, he sounded his voice from heaven and said, thank you, Uzzah, for not letting the ark fall. No, his holiness came out, and he killed Uzzah right there. And they're going to learn from this. Just think of what it costs Jesus Christ to be a propitiation for our sin, the place where wrath has 
fell on Jesus. All of the righteous wrath of God fell on Jesus Christ in order that we might have fellowship, a relationship with him. It took something. Jesus said, Jesus said this in Mark, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's a price we could never imagine that was paid. But it was only because of the holiness of God. And that's what they're learning here, and that's what we need to learn. Even once again, we're believers. But there's a certain way the Lord wants us to walk. We can't flippantly walk with the Lord and say, hey, I'm going to be forgiven anyway. Mm -mm. It doesn't work like that. God is a holy God. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians, I think chapter 11, when he's talking about the Lord's Supper, hey, when you guys come here, you don't even give value to the Lord's Supper. You, you don't share your meal, and then you're, you're getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. And that's why many of you are not only sick. He says many of you have fallen asleep because God is holy, and you haven't given value to what he has said, do this in remembrance of me. And so we have to understand we've been clothed with the righteousness of Christ, and we should walk up right before him. We're not going to walk perfectly, but we need to understand that God is a holy God. And that's the only reason we're down here. We're, not, we're down here, we can say to witness and do this and do that and serve the Lord. But the main reason, you can take, take this to the bank, the main reason we're down here is to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ because he wants us to be a holy people. And even in heaven, we will be growing into the image of Christ in holiness. We've started out with holiness when we're born again, and we're growing in holiness and righteousness. Verse 9 tells us, David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David. But David took it aside into the house, I love this, of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. He wasn't a Philistine. He lived in that region. That's why that's his name. At this moment, David would completely seem to be wanting to be like a seeker-friendly church. And what I mean by that, David is saying, God, you are too holy. You are too righteous for me to deal with, for you to be around me. So I wish now that I could dumb you down some so I could get along with you and we could be close to one another. And, it, and it, 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 it hurts our sensibilities. And what I mean by that, that's what seeker-friendly churches do. Come on, come to church. God takes you anyway, and he will when you repent of your sins and give your lives to Jesus Christ. But then the change happens. And so it's not God loves you and he wants to take you to heaven. That's good. But more than that, he loves you enough to change us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Once again, walking in holiness. And so they're wanting here, David, whether he knows it or not, he's saying, God, I wish you wasn't so holy. But guess who's going to get the blessing right here? 
Obed-Edom. God doesn't change for anyone. It tells us this, Romans 6, speaking of being holy, but now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. If we don't have fruit to holiness, we're not his. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 puts it this way, therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting what? Holiness in the fear of God. That's what he, he's looking for. That's why he's working in us. That's why he has the Holy Spirit residing in us to give us everything to have a holy life. So he says in verse 11, the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. I bet David didn't sleep at all for three months, off and on probably. But we have to understand, every time there's a, we say a new era in biblical history, God always shows his holiness. I'm thankful that I wasn't Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament. They, they just lied. Peter said, yeah, but you lied to the Holy Spirit, and now we're going to make an example of you. We think of Achan in that new era when they go into the promised land and what he did, and God executed him there. So in those times in biblical history, God shows forth his holiness because he's given us a warning. He still not wink, he does not wink at sin. But what he does, he gives grace because we're under that new covenant. But you are what you do. You are what you consistently do. And if that's leading to righteousness, where you're righteous. But if that's leading to lawlessness, where you're that. Malachi 3.6 tells us this, because God doesn't change. For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. We must obey his word by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what God is saying. That Remember uh, Nadab and Abihu, he shows them. They, they erect the tabernacle. Moses had, had consecrated all of the priests. He erects the tabernacle. And Nadab and Abihu, the Bible says they offer strange fire in Leviticus chapter 10. We find out, I think, in Leviticus chapter 15, the reason they offered strange fire is because they were drunk when they were doing the sacrifices. And God destroyed them. And then he told Aaron, Moses tells him from the Lord, do not weep for them. And when he said, do not weep for them, what God was saying They were wrong. I'm right. I'm holy. So why would you weep for them? They knew the game plan. They they had the scriptures, but they just didn't do it. And we need to learn that as a church. We need to teach the word of God no matter what, in season and out. We need to live holy lives by the power of the Holy Spirit, pray for one another, encourage one another, because this is a tough walk, but it can be done because we have the Holy Spirit residing in us. So the latter part of verse 11 tells us this. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom, 
and all his, all his household. That's what God comes to do. David incorrectly tried to transport the ark, and because he should have known how to carry the ark, Uzzah died. Obed-Edom, they take the ark there, and his family and his household and everything is being blessed because that's what God wants to do in our lives. He's not the, uh, as John Corson says all the time, he's not the Godfather with a hammer in his hand waiting to hit us upside the head when we do something wrong. He's a loving God, and he wants to bless us. But he will not bless us in our sin. He gives us grace to repent, but we have to walk in a sphere of righteousness. Unbelievers naturally shy away from the holiness of the Lord. That's what I did. That's what you guys did when you were unbelievers. Jesus says this in John 3, 19 and 20. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. And that's why preachers tend to not be popular in the world. That's why you have so many people come the weekend or watching football football games, and they're cheering, and they're ecstatic about all that, but you can't find them in the church. Because In the church, it's where holiness should reign. That's where it should reign. Verse 12 tells us, Now it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. If David would have got into the Scriptures, because 1 Chronicles 15, verse 13 says this, For because you did not do it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not consult him about the proper order. So that's why it didn't fall correctly. So this time, King David, what he does, he tells the priests, he tells the Levites to consecrate yourselves, change your clothes, the ceremonial washing, do all those things, get ready. See, they didn't do that. They didn't need to do that at the beginning if they would have carried the ark correctly. But David is going an extra step now. He says, consecrate yourselves and get ready. We're going to try this thing again. Titus chapter 3, verse 5 through 6 tells us as believers, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, But according to his mercy, he saved us. How? Through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So the same way they're showing us that example, uh, symbolically, that they're washing, that's what the Holy Spirit did with every believer. So he says in verse 13, so David went. And brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom. I wonder, did they have a wrestling match to remove the ark? With all those blessings, I think I may have. (laughs) From the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. And so it was, when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. 
they sacrificed seven bulls and seven rams after six paces. And they did that because after they had started moving, they wanted to know was the Lord pleased with them or not. And so nobody died, so they knew the Lord was pleased with them. Then David, he begins to dance, dance before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod, that white long linen robe. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. When this procession reached Jerusalem, First Chronicles 15 tells us, that they had 14 more sacrifices. When Solomon builds the tabernacle, they said every six paces they were sacrificing offerings all the way to the tabernacle. David just does it when he gets to the tent of meetings. Now, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, and it's strange that the Holy Spirit would say Saul's daughter instead of David's wife looked through a window and saw King David, once again, not her husband, leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. That word despise, an interesting word, is baza. It means to hold in contempt or disdain. His wife does that. You know, I'm not surprised at Michael because the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. Her dad, Saul, did not care about the things of God, and Michael does not care about the things of God. Remember when Saul was after David, and she tells David to go down the window? Remember what she did? She put those foreign gods in her bed. So even then, she was worshiping foreign gods, and that's what she has her eyes on right here. She has no devotion for the Lord. People who who don't have a heartfelt devotion for the Lord, they don't want those close around them to have that. That's why the Bible says, don't be unequally yoked. You don't have to worry about that. You can ride together. You can cry together. You can pray together. But when you're unequally yoked, They're always despising the things of God. And that's what happens with Michael here. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. David brings this ark up this time with great success. And and we always have great success when we do things the way the Lord has told us to do it. God is saying the church especially, we can do a lot of things well on the horizontal. But what God cares most about is the vertical. Is our relationship right with him? We don't have to do things well on the horizontal. We don't have to have the best of this or the best of that. But I guarantee you this, if our hearts are right with the Lord on the vertical, He's going to bless it because that's all he's concerned with. And God says this, as the Ark of the Covenant, we know it represents God. And then inside that Ark of the Covenant, the main thing was the broken law. And that broken law represents who? Who? Me. 
So no doubt you, because you broke it. So you have the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of the Lord. Inside you have the broken law that represents us. And then on top, that mercy seat that represents Jesus Christ and what God is saying. I will fight your battles. I will do all kinds of things for you to bless you. But one thing you're going to do, you're going to carry this broken law. And what that does, it proclaims my holiness. The Bible says we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So even then, we're carrying that law because there's no way in and of ourselves that we could ever make it to heaven without the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And that's what he's saying here. God is saying, I am holy, and I want you to understand that I am holy. And I want you to understand you don't walk with me for 10 years or 15 years and then say, hey, I've got it made. I don't have to be in my word anymore like I used to. I don't have to go to church like I used to. I can put it in cruise control. And the Lord is saying, no, the same things you did from the beginning you need to do now if you want that vibrant, intimate relationship with me. That's why it says one of the churches, the church at Ephesus, the first church that left his love, you have left your love. Do those things you did before. When you feel yourself, the passion and the, that's dwelling in your relationship with the Lord, it's easy to get back there. Do the things you did at first. When you're married, and you've been married for almost 30 years, do the things you did at first, because that's easy to forget, but that's what it takes. It says, then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. Burnt offerings, we've said this before, complete sacrifice to the Lord. I dedicate my life to you entirely I belong to you, peace offerings, fellowship offerings. That's when you get to eat with the Lord. You get a portion of that meal, and you sit down, and you have fellowship with the Lord. That's what it's all about, the burnt offering. You can't have that peace offering unless you have that burnt offering. You'll never get the peace offering if you don't have the burnt offering. That makes sense. And when David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Then he distributed among all the people, among the whole multitude of Israel, both the women and the men, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. So all the people departed, everyone to his house. Now he's doing something because David is a type, is a shadow of Jesus Christ. And he's ascending once again with the Ark of the Covenant to his throne. And Jesus did the same thing. He offered gifts to men when he ascended to his throne. And it says this here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 through 8. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. And that's what uh, David is doing here. He's the king. He's a shepherd, has a shepherd heart, not like Saul that was selfish, and he gives gifts to them. Verse 20 tells us, then David returned, notice, 
to bless his household. He had accomplished what he wanted to. His heart is full of joy. He has achieved what he wanted. He's excited about what he's did. And he goes to his house wanting to bless his household and his family. And it says, And Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants as one of the base fellows, the empty, the worthless fellows, shamelessly uncovers himself. David, priest and king, Jesus Christ, all three, prophet, priest, and king. And so, once again, Michael is showing her true heart. It said in 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse 13, here it is. And Michael took an image and laid it in the bed, put a cover of goat's hair for his head, and covered it with clothes. So her heart was toward these idols. She did not have a heart for the Lord. She didn't care about the blessings of the Lord, and she didn't want David to. And what had her so upset is David is praising the Lord, and he's excited, and she would rather have him on her side. So David said to Michael, and I love this. I love a little get back, and that's what he does here. So David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord, and I will, even, and I will be even more undignified. That's the youth group's verse. I will be even more base or degrading or common than this and will be humble in my own sight. David has a passion. He has a heart for the Lord, and it's nothing wrong. We should all Spurgeon said this, if my dad, if all the seats were filled and if my dad came in here, I should get up, of course, and give him my seat. How much more should we give honor to God? How much more should we have a holy passion for the one who has saved us from the pit of hell? and has given us grace to walk with him day in and day out because we can't do it by ourselves. David says, I will be humble in my own sight because he was doing this. He wasn't doing this to show off. He was doing this in humility. And it's nothing more than have that kind of passion for the Lord. I'll, I'll bring this up. I said it several times. Before Lydia was saved, that holy passion, she would come home from work, and we had a split-level house. And I would jump up on the, the first level and just get up there and have my headphones on. And I was just singing to the Lord, praising the Lord. And I know, knew when she got home, she would say, that boy is crazy. I don't know what's happening to him, but he's crazy. But those are being passionate for the Lord. And we need more than that. We don't have to be charismatic. Nothing wrong with being charismatic. But the Lord has did great things in our lives. He says, but as for the maidservants, of whom you have spoken by them, I will be held in honor. Therefore, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. And I'll close with this. I'm not going to start chapter 7. And I laugh because when I, when I first got saved, 
I heard, and I, I used to listen, especially on Sunday. I would get out of church, and I wouldn't even watch football. I would watch TBN, and I would watch all these teachers. And they, this guy's pretty good. This guy's okay. This guy's, I'm not going to listen to him. But I would watch all day long, and I would watch T.D. Jakes. I remember him having a, he did a sermon on this. Listen to this. <laughs> And he was talking about this passage, and he says, you better talk about somebody's pocketbook or the shoes they're wearing or the clothing they're wearing. He said, but you don't ever talk about someone's worship because just like Michael wound up being barren, you will be barren. You will be fruitless in your walk for the Lord when you begin to talk about someone else's worship. I remember being at a certain church, and we would have afterglow, and, and they, a couple of people would sit in the back, and they would just weep and cry. And I thought that was so cool, and they would say prayers, and they would just weep and cry. And then I began to hear murmuring of, oh, God, I don't want to sit beside them because all they do is weep and cry. And we could have got out 20 minutes early, but they had this prophecy, and they were just weeping and crying. We need to be careful. We need that holy passion. Yes, we do things in order, but it's nothing. We should all be passionate and on fire for the Lord. We get caught in those ruts, or we get caught in that commonality of, I've got, I know the word, I know my job, I know my ministry, and we never get farther than that. But God is looking for passionate people who love him, that will serve him with a full heart, and he's pleased with that. Let's pray. Father, once again, I'm reminded in the book of Revelation of the church of Ephesus. Lord, it's so easy for your people, for me, to go through the motion. Lord, you don't want that. You don't ever want us to put it in cruise control. Lord, you want a passionate people, a, a, not, a zeal, Paul said, according to knowledge. That's something special there. To have zeal and not have knowledge, that's terrible. But to have a zeal according to knowledge is wonderful, and that's pleasing to you, Lord. And that's my prayer for those that are watching. That's my prayer for those that are here. That's my prayer for Calvary Restore, Lord, that we're, we will be on fire for you, that we don't let the holy things of God become mundane outside the sanctuary as Esau became. Esau, it wasn't that he hated you. It was that you were coming. I can take you or leave you. That was his issue. So, Lord, I pray for everyone here and those that are watching, those that, that, are, that come to see, see our Lord, that we would never take the holy things and make them common, that we would have a reverence for you, a reverence for your ministries here, and we would be in awe of your holiness because without holiness, no one will see you, Father. So speak to our hearts, Lord, and encourage us to continue to seek you with a full heart. 
And I ask all of this through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to the Father God. 